once in a while, I get tired of my own voice and try to introduce you to a guest reader. Most of the time you'll accept this, reluctantly, but then send me secret pleas that you miss my voice or you harp at me and tell me that if I keep it up you'll stop listening. And then we all get sad until I read another story, at which point we cuddle and make up and it gets kinky in the bedroom. But then occasionally my friend Patrick will send me a story. And when I post it, you send me bras and whisper the naughtiest things. That's okay. I whisper the same naughty things when I hear his voice. So here's one. I'll be back next week. Throw your bras if you want. Good evening. It's... What day is it? It's about the 29th or 30th of June 2010. And it's Patrick's Bedtime Story Podcast. A Small Circle of Friends by Sam Shepard In the mid-fifties, my parents had a small circle of friends. By 1961, they'd all disappeared. Later, I found out this was partly due to my father's drinking and his ensuing temper tantrums. The kind of temper tantrums where he thought his head might explode. Sometime around 1957, there was a barbecue at our place where all these friends of theirs convened. There was Ted Maisley, a tall, slender man with a steel-gray crew cut that stood up high on his head like an inverted shoe brush. He was only in his mid-forties, but solid gray. He played piano and sang Fats Waller tunes and always wore a suit and tie. The suits were always gray to match his crew cut. Much later, I found out that Ted had hanged himself from his garage rafter because he'd discovered he was gay. There was Lance Torrance and his wife, Louise. Louise I found very sexy, and they had an equally sexy daughter named Liza. About my age, about 13, me and Liza used to sneak out by the sheep pens and fool around. She was very exciting to fool around with, because she made noises like Jane Mansfield used to make in her movies with Mickey Hargaday. Liza's mother, Louise, had amazing hips. They were powerful, and she always had them cinched up into slinky mid-calf skirts, where you could see her garter buttons bulging out. Much later, I found out that Luis had thrown herself off a two-story veranda and had landed face down in their Spanish tile patio and snapped her neck. Lance, her husband, a former football coach, slowly went mad over the next decade and lost his entire shoe business. There were Lou and Doris Parnell, who liked cards and played the horses a lot. You could always tell what kind of luck they were having by the style of car they drove. If they were winning, it'd be a Thunderbird. When they lost, it became a Plymouth. There was an Italian-looking man named Phil, who was the object of a lot of controversy in our house. My father repeatedly accused my mother of having an affair with him, but I never saw him take the accusation directly to Phil. Instead, my father would periodically destroy different rooms in the house, always late at night after me and my sisters were supposed to be asleep. He always contained his violence within one room, and in the morning there was no mistaking which room it was. His favorite was the kitchen. This particular barbecue in 1957 seemed to be getting off the ground pretty well. It was bright afternoon, and the apricots were just ripening on the trees. A gentle wind from the San Joaquin drew the smell of hamburgers and chicken and orange blossoms across the yard and out into the avocado orchard. Liza was throwing a rubber bone to our dog and chasing him hysterically. 
She kept working her way down toward the sheep pens and giving me little darting looks back over her shoulder. I pretended not to notice. Arturo, a Mexican friend my father had hired to do some yard work, was cutting cooch grass with a Toro power mower. He was a very quiet-faced man who wore floppy straw hats with huaraches and soles made from old tire treads. He told me he'd been in trouble down in Chihuahua City with some very bad men and had been forced to leave Mexico. He never would tell me the details, but he said it involved a woman. He used to carve serpent designs into little pruned branches of fruit wood and give them to me. I collected all of them in a drawer with my jackknives. The small circle of friends was having a great time. My mother's high-pitched, genuine laughter rang out over the rest of the voices, signaling to me that she'd already had a couple. Everybody was drinking and clinking and talking at once. Even my father seemed temporarily happy, poking at the sizzling flesh with a long fork and sipping his beer. Ted was singing, You're not the only wrinkle on the prune, you're not the only apple on the tree. Nevertheless, I confess, positively, positively, you're the only one for me. Doing his best Fats Waller imitation, punctuating the end of each verse with a lusty, yeah while Phil added little improvised vocal trombone phrases in the chorus. He'd close his eyes and his lips would kind of flap up and down and buzz when he did this. He accompanied his buzzing lips with slide trombone gestures, using the hand he'd held his drink with. His drink would splash a little onto Ted's lap with each slide, but Ted didn't seem to notice. Phil never opened his eyes to see what a mess he was making. He was too far gone. Lance, Luis, Lou, Doris, and my mother were in fits over something they'd just remembered from their old college days. Something a good twenty years before about a homecoming queen. My mother must have had remembered it best because she was laughing the loudest. These were the only occasions I can remember my parents laughing at the same time in the same place. These little get-togethers of theirs. What happened next was that Liza came running up to the house without the rubber bone our dog chasing her like he thought she was still playing with him, but she wasn't. She was crying. She ran straight to her mother and grabbed hold of her waist and buried her head in Luis's skin-tight white skirt. Everybody stopped talking and laughing and drinking except Ted and Phil, who were on the last verse of Honeysuckle Rose. Pretty soon even they stopped, and they took their drinks out to the patio to see why the party and the mood had suddenly shifted gears. Everyone split into pairs, and hardly anyone spoke. The ones who did speak sort of whispered to each other, stared at the ground, and slowly shook their heads. Luis and Liza went inside the house with my mother, who kept patting Liza softly on the shoulder and stroking her head. Lance went up to my father and said right into his face, I told you about hiring Mexicans, didn't I? And then he went straight into the house and left my father standing there. My father took his barbecue apron off and set down the long fork beside the grill. He stared into the glowing briquettes, and his whole face emptied out. There was no anger in it, just a long anguish that seemed to return to him as though he knew these brief lapses into happiness were only temporary masks to his real fate. Ted patted my father on the back, but my father never looked at him or acknowledged the kind gesture. He just walked off slowly and headed for the sheep pens. He walked like he didn't want to go down there, like he was following orders from somebody else's conscience. I followed him, but not close enough to piss him off. His mind was somewhere else, anyway. 
and he never even noticed me. Our dog was dancing around me in stupid circles, his tail flashing back and forth. He grinned up at me, his tongue lolling out. He was happy and stupid like that all the time, no matter what happened. I could see Arturo sitting in his old green Chevy pickup with the Toro mower and his yard tools sticking out the back. He was sitting very still without his hat and with both his leathery brown hands on the wheel like he was expecting my father to come down there and give him a good talking to. His truck wasn't running. My father walked right up to the truck and sat down in the cab next to Arturo. The door made a horrible cracking sound when he closed it. They didn't look at each other for a long time. They didn't speak. They just stared straight out the windshield at nothing. Arturo gripped the steering wheel as though they were driving, but the truck wasn't even running. For a second it looked as though there could be two men on a cross-country trip, but the truck wasn't moving. The sheep started bleeding like they thought there was a hay coming, and they lined the fence, poking their noses through the mesh. Our dog ran back and forth along the fence line with his head low, snapping at lambs and barking his head off. My father and Arturo just stared out the dusty windshield. Then my father said something in Spanish to Arturo, without turning his head to him, and Arturo cranked the ignition, and they drove off together, very slowly. I watched the green truck go down the hill, past the eucalyptus, and disappear, with the mower and tools bouncing in the bed. When I got back to the house, everyone was leaving except Lance, Luis, and Liza. My mother was talking quietly with Lance in the kitchen at the table. Her voice was full of apology. Lance was smoking and staring at the linoleum. Luis and Liza had gone into my parents' bedroom and shut the door. I could hear Luis's voice even through the door. I told you a dozen times not to wear that bra. You're too young to be wearing a bra like that. I said goodbye to Ted and shook his hand. I remember thinking he was a gentleman. There was something very kind about his eyes. That was the last time that I saw him alive, and if I'd known that at the time, I'd have said something to him about his kindness. How unusual it was. Lou and Doris were waving to me from their Plymouth as they backed out of the driveway. They seemed happily drunk and not caught up in the recent circumstances. I waved back. I saw Phil in the front yard circling an orange tree with a drink in his hand and a cigarette. He kept kicking at the grass and staring down at his brogans, then rubbing the tips of them on the back of his calves. He'd look back at the house, then keep circling and swirling his glass. I could hear his ice tinkling. Ted gave two little beeps on his horn as he drove off, and Phil raised his glass to him, but he didn't look up. He just kept circling the orange tree and kicking at the lawn. White smoke was drifting across the yard as the barbecue petered out. After a while, my mother came outside with Lance, Luis, and Liza. Liza's face was red and streaky looking, but she wasn't crying now. She gave a little peek at me, then ducked behind her mother's waist. All I could see was one eye, which seemed full of guilt. My mother walked them all over to their car, with her arms crossed on her chest and her head down. She kissed Liza on the cheek and closed the door softly when Liza got in. She waved goodbye to them as they drove off and kept on waving when they were out of sight as though they were going far away. Phil stopped circling the orange tree and raised his glass to my mother when she turned back toward the house. She stopped and stared at him. She didn't smile. Then she turned toward me and stared as if she'd suddenly lost track of things. I went into the house and watched them from behind the curtains and the 
at the kitchen window. I watched her cross the lawn toward Phil in her high heels. Phil was smiling and smoking, like he thought he was in the movies. His chest blew up. He cocked one hip and flicked his cigarette, then took a deep drag. Just as my mother reached him, I saw Arturo's green truck pulling up the hill. My mother saw it too, and she turned abruptly and walked straight back toward the house, trying to look as though that's where she'd been heading all along. Phil called out to her, but she never looked back at him. She kept walking, shaking her head, and crossed her arms tight on her chest, as if she was warding off some cold chill. Phil stomped his cigarette in the grass and took a slug from his drink. Arturo's truck stopped on the road in front of the yard, and my father stepped out. He stood there on the road, staring through the oleander bushes at Phil as Arturo drove off. My mother came into the kitchen, patting her chest and breathing fast, blowing each breath out on the exhale. She told me to get away from the window, and when I asked her why, she said, Just do it! and went straight to the bedroom and shut the door hard behind her. I could hear her throw her high heels at the wall, and then it went quiet. I stayed at the kitchen window and watched my father walk, stooped over, through the tall hedge bushes toward Phil, rather than take the long way around up the driveway. Phil turned toward my father and raised what was left in his glass. Phil smiled and reached for his pack of cigarettes. My father hit Phil so hard the glass exploded in Phil's face. Ice went flying into the orange tree. When Phil put his hands up to protect his eyes, my father grabbed Phil by the hair and smashed his face down into his raised knee. He did this over and over again. I could hear Phil's nose split, even from that far away, but Phil never made a sound. Then he slumped down to the grass and my father just left him there. He walked away and turned the rainbird sprinklers on and let them wash back and forth over Phil. A turquoise hummingbird darted in and out of the misty water spray. That night, I took all the little carved serpent sticks that Arturo had given me and lined them up on my bed. I kept rearranging them in different designs as I listened to my father's destroy another room. Next morning, I left town for good. I took all my jackknives and serpent sticks with me. 4489, Los Angeles.